Welcome to my podcast, In the Know. My series of interviews with amazing people doing amazing things as I travel around the world of no-tell. On this episode, I have Will Herman, the author of the startup Playbook, a guy who started multiple public companies, touched hundreds of them, and written a manual about it. His number one topic, how to lead and manage people. Hello and welcome to In the Know. I'm your host, Amal Sarva, co-founder of Nutel. And today I have a really interesting person to talk with, Will Herman. Thank you for being here, Will. Oh, my pleasure, Amal. Great to be here. I have your book on my desk. Fabulous. I want to talk to you all about it and how you got to the spot where you wrote it and um, and get your ideas for my audacious project of turning in the know into the world's largest media property that reaches millions and changes lives. Sounds cool. <laughs> You're on board. <laughs> I am on board. So the book is called uh, Startup Playbook. That's right. That's right. Can, can you uh, introduce yourself for uh, our listeners a little bit and uh, give me like the story arc? I mean, you have been a friend advisor, uh, and it looks like even co-founder and founder around so many different interesting companies. Yeah, I've been I've been super fortunate. Um, let's see, I've I've started I've started five companies myself, two like miserable crash and burn failures, and uh, three uh, pretty big successes, two IPOs, three corporate sales, probably about uh, what is now about four billion dollars in return to my uh, my investors. Um, I uh, I sold my last company though about. Uh, 16, 17 years ago. And um, since then, I've been a very active advisor, mentor, board member, and investor in, um, in a broad range of startups. I've invested in about about 80 startups, and I've probably advised uh, two or 300 more after that. So um, we, my um, my co my co-author uh, Roger Bargava and I. Um, He's got a very similar background. In fact, he started more companies than me. Than me. Um, we, we saw that we were um, sort of answering the same questions for every company we were helping out. And we decided that it would be way more effective if we could just write them down. Um, write down the questions and the answers to the questions. And the idea was to create a, um, you know, a go-to reference guide for first-time entrepreneurs. And hopefully we've been successful. It's been pretty popular so far, um, the startup playbook, and and um, you know we're pretty happy with the outcome. Um, certainly, we've learned it's certainly not a money making thing. You don't make money writing a book, but um, um, hopefully you do help people along the way. Yeah, I want to talk about the book, uh, and I want to get to that. And my uh, self interested reason is around the outline of this uh, this fantasy project I have of taking just the serendipity and, and uh, molecular action of running my company, Notel, where it put, puts me in front of all these interesting people or in, the, or in the same space and capturing some of these conversations I get to have with folks and sharing them. I mean, that's, that is what, what this series is. But undergirding it, I thought, why don't I use these guys on my case study of uh, taking a bunch of ideas and seeing how to make them big and spreading them and, have, and having impact. And, and, and that, I mean, it, that does sound a bit like the mission with Startup Playbook. 
Yeah, it's 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 part of the mission. Absolutely. It's it's you got, you know, so much is won and lost in the sort of the 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 fundamentals of team building and human interaction and communication. Um, and uh, and actually more more companies fail because of those problems than anything else. And if you can nip those in the bud by thinking through you know, how to get that, that stuff right, how to become better at it yourself, the more likely it is you're going to be successful. You started ViewLogic, which right. maybe, I mean, is that the biggest one? Yeah, ViewLogic is the biggest companies company. You touch? Yes. Uh, and, and I guess you were starting companies even before that? Is that how you got to, to ViewLogic? Yeah, or was that the I, first time out? No, no, it wasn't my. It was my third, actually. I I uh, I quit college. I, I I was one of these guys. I I didn't. I, you know, I was. Uh, I went to school to become a mechanical engineer, and I realized after two years of doing that that I um, that I was doing the same thing that everybody who'd come before me was doing, and uh, I got thrown into a um, uh, course writing writing some software to solve some problems. Fell in love with that and. Um, Grabbed the job after my my um, my sophomore year, um, writing some code, and then they offered me a um, a full time position, and I didn't go back to school. Well, I did eventually, but I didn't go back to school then, mm-hmm. and um, much to my parents' chagrin. Um, <laughs> and uh, then that company failed. Eighteen months later, it just crashed. It it's um, it just disappeared off the face of the planet. I had no idea why. I don't think anybody there really knew why. Um, oh, like a just, closed door insular leadership that one day cancels all the flights. Uh, that's and it. Forget about your tickets. Uh, yep. Like it happened today with exactly. Wow Air. Uh, you got it. Yeah, yeah. It says that it happened today with Wow Air. I saw that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, note note on the door as we came in that uh, you know, you're, sorry, if if it was in your desk, we own it now, or sort of the, the creditors do anyway. Unbelievable. Um, and then then I went off thinking I could do it better. At uh, I don't know, maybe I was twenty. Um, I thought I could do it better, and I started uh, a business doing essentially the same thing as that company was doing. And uh, that took me 18 months to uh, to burn it down to the ground. It was, and that one I understood, <laughs> although not until afterwards that that's a simple cash flow problem. I was I was making some money, but I was spending it faster, and um, spending it in capital goods type of thing. You know, need computers, need this, need that, and. and uh, and one day I couldn't write a check, so um, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was super painful. And I licked my wounds, and I went off to work for a uh, large. Company you might describe that years. that experience as the way Brooks in uh, the the Mythical Man Month describes the second system syndrome. Perhaps. That's that that is uh, yeah. It's it, that's a very good point actually. <laughs> that's it's uh it's very similar it's very similar to that mythical man my boy that's yeah that's a throwback um trying to get it like trying to get it perfect the next time and actually that quest for perfection making it even worse the next time longer slower more expensive yeah that i mean that's that was certainly part of it although most of it was i just didn't know what i didn't know and uh and it turns out that was quite a lot um right first time uh, founder yeah, 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 and and uh, and then I went off and I, like I was saying, I licked my wounds in a uh, large computer company, Digital Equipment Corporation, for um, for several years, and I had a blast. Which is it the temple great. from which many of the great entrepreneurs of like what is, what's it called, route route 
187. Uh, about 128. 128. 128. Yeah. Right. Isn't that like the place where all these these amazing companies uh, were first convening uh, yeah. in the late 70s, yes, early it, 80s? It was. Yeah. And into the 90s. It's um, yeah, it was uh, it was a great place to be. It's um, it was uh, it was sort of retirement for the young, if that's what you wanted. I mean, you could just skate along there. But if you were if you really wanted to work, you had all the resources you could possibly want. And um, and they really it was really really good for me. I don't know that it was good for everybody. It was good for me. And uh, yeah, it's I mean, where what's so I interesting act- about this Sorry. this little flow you're describing in the first three steps is it's exactly what happens to people now. I mean, the, some of the places are different, this and that. But you know, you you sort of go to school and maybe you're distracted or maybe you fully flake out or maybe you just kind of finish and, and then you join some company and it doesn't go right and then you try one yourself and that blows up. Then maybe you find yep. Uh, a more um, rewarding environment full of other smart people to re-energize. Yeah, that's, is that? I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's, I I think that's exactly right. In retrospect, yes, that was, I mean, me, I just thought I was, you know, taking whatever path appeared in front of me and that's just the way I am. I don't get, I don't get discouraged very easily. I just, you know, I see, I see a path. I compare that the new path with the path I'm on and I take the better of the two that I see at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, so I want to I want to go and, I, I want to go where you're going next out of deck, but I also want to get your advice on those first few steps. I mean, you must meet college students all the time. I often am with with people that are early in their career, and um, I think that probably these days the the startup consensus, you know, from the Silicon Valley tribe would be, if you believe your life is in making new things, don't join a large institution. Just go join a startup. Because there you'll see so many of the behaviors, qualities, and skills, and then you'll be able to start your own startup and just do that. But actually, in your sequence, while those things may have been inspiring and you may have learned, it seems like a really important step was this large engineering organization full of geniuses where you're able to like deepen your skill and passion. How, yeah. What, what do you yeah. think in the contrast there? Yeah, I, I don't actually buy the buy the uh, sort of Paul Graham. You know, you shouldn't even go to college; you should just go start a company or join a startup. I don't, I don't buy that. Um, I, I think that's a uh, that's a, a convenient uh, sort of a, a convenient shot in the path now um, when you know when there's there's plenty of venture capital money around and um, and there's a startup on every corner. Um, I, I don't think that's a that's a good long term that's a good long term plan. If if you want to learn something from people, you want to be if you want to learn something, you want to be around people with wisdom. And uh, and while there are wise people in startups, usually they're not. Usually it's a group of people who learn together, and that has tremendous value. But if you want to drink from a fire hose, you want people want you want to be around people who who've done it, been there before, solved the problems before. And those problems aren't just startup problems; they're managerial problems, they're funding problems, they're cash flow problems, and those aren't unique to startups. They're they're in every. Can you company. join a company that's too late and stable where you might be learning the wrong managerial funding uh, and engineering uh, problem solving. Uh, it seems like in what you sketch, I mean, when you're, when you're in a company that's, that's run by great founders and yeah, they're learning, but you're a few hundred people, there's a lot of money moving through the business. You're still growing and creative problem solving all day long. When you join a huge institution that's never going to run out of money, that the managers are managing for stability they're for 10%, not 10x. I mean, presumably, these are different places to learn, right? 
Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. I, I would say that there there are um, you can't say se- you shouldn't segment that by company though. For the most part, um, you 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 should segment them by, by manager. So um, I mean, there are plenty of people to learn from who are buried deep inside, um, you know, very old, very stable companies. And, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Warren Buffett has been doing the same thing for a long time. Would I say you shouldn't go to Berkshire Hathaway because he's been doing the same thing the same way for a very long time? I'd say no. If you could possibly get a job at Berkshire Hathaway, you should go. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, the if you can be in the room with, with if you can be in the room with him. Yeah. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Or, or the actually, right another... people, I, you know, in general. Right. Right. Okay. And another aspect of that, which I wanted to inspect a little bit, and I know that you may not often talk about these topics because they feel like ancient history too, and they're all just preamble before you build a huge public company. But another thing you mentioned that I, that I don't know that, it, so you drop out of college. And yes. when you did, it's kind of when it got cool. Like there's a bunch of your uh, fellow travelers and, you know, some are colossally huge people and there's lots of great successful people. And there was a moment somewhere in the mid to late 90s, where the anti-college just drop out really became a thing. It became a really sort of dominant ideology. Um, You know, uh, whatever, Gates starts Microsoft. And you're you're almost killing yourself if you stay and finish those last two years. The opportunity is right in front of you. It's 1998. You should move to Silicon Valley. I wonder if you think that the story arc on that has actually come back in the other direction quite a bit as universities have become better places to learn entrepreneurship and be entrepreneurial. I wonder what your feeling is. Like if you meet a student today and they're and they're sitting at some fabulous university do you, and they say, I think I want to drop out and do my company. And they say, you did it. Why shouldn't I? Wow, that is a that is a really great point. I hadn't thought about that at all. But uh, I, I think I think that's that's that is absolutely true. Now it depends on where you are, right? It depends on the university you're going going to. But um, yeah, first of all, I, w- I wouldn't say anyone at any time should just drop out of college. It's not. It's generally a bad idea. <laughs> it's it's just <laughs> not a good idea. For some people, it works out, and and we know the notable event. You know, Jobs dropped out of college. Gates dropped out of college. You know, there's probably a long list. You know, Michael Dell probably didn't finish college. You know, uh, it's it's uh, you know uh, there are we but we don't know the names of the thousands of others who dropped out and never made anything out of their lives. So exactly, so, yeah, the confirmation yeah, bias is from a few famous people, not from uh, the guys that are like working in a you know car repair place. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I, you know, I, I, I first say that the, the, you know, hang in those two years and then go do it. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's not much of your life. It's, it's certainly worthwhile. But that said, I think your, your fundamental point of that schools have become better at understanding the, the sort of, uh, integral nature of entrepreneurship as part of, lots of programs really has changed things quite a bit. I mean, when I went to school, I mean, there was no, if there was such thing as a, of an entrepreneurship mentor, entrepreneurship e-mentor, um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, program, I didn't know it existed, you know, I, I, and, and, you know, at the time I, even something in finance, I thought was silly. It's, um, <laughs> you know, a waste of my time. So, um, 
So yeah, I think I think it is it, even at one if, at one point if it was you know reasonable to think about it for those of us you know with ADD you know to 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 jump and go do something else and learn that way. Um, now it's less it's it's less opportunistic to move. You can still learn a lot in those last two years, even mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah, a great point you make. Yeah, I, I wonder if. Uh... The universities are proud of themselves. They certainly lash themselves quite a bit, but uh, I do see them changing. So, okay, yeah, now it's, uh, it's, what is it? It's 1984. You see the Apple commercial and you decide, okay, it's time. <laughs> I'm going to go for it. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. Is that the year you started ViewLogic? Uh, that is the year we started ViewLogic, yes. It's, uh, yeah, but it certainly wasn't the Apple, com- uh, Apple, Apple commercial, although it might have been the, uh, the IBM commercial. A little uh, with the little Charlie hmm. Chaplin guy. Holy crap! Those were cool commercials. Back. Those are amazing. Yeah. Those are amazing. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, because we we basically we we were in um, uh, we were all electronics guys, and and we were in uh, chip design and and board level design, and we believed we could move it down to the PC. And and anybody who knows Digital Equipment Corporation knows that was not the place to do that. They just the core of the company did not believe in the personal computer. Um, and so we went off and did that. And uh, we um, we took us a, a year to find money. It was nobody wanted to invest in us. And uh, we were a no-name team at a time when, when venture capital was pretty hard to get anyway. Uh, we were out for a year before we got our first dime. And when I say dime, I mean our first investment was a fifty thousand dollar commitment in two parts. We could we got twenty five thousand dollars, and then we had to prove some uh, milestones, achieve some milestones to get the the next twenty five. We clearly weren't paying ourselves, so um, uh, it was it was a long hard road to get started there. Um, wow! But ultimately, it and was, well, and, you know, was, although the world is different yeah. now, when I meet entrepreneurs, I still quote one year. As how long it takes you from the time you quit your job to go get the first money. Now there are some uh, exceptional people who pull it off, or maybe they're a little bit lucky, and you know, on their first day walking out the door, someone's handing them a term sheet for a bunch of money. But it takes quite some time to develop an idea to the point it that does. people are going to back it. it. It does. It does. And in, in, in fact, it 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 actually, on average, is probably taking for any any company that actually raises a real seed round, not. Pre-seed, not seed prime, not whatever they're called these days. It's confusing, um, but um, I, I actually think they're raising it in less than a year. Maybe, maybe it takes them a year to get to sort of stable funding type of thing. The real challenge actually comes when they raise their next round. Um, you know, you go to any incubator, you can get enough money to run for your first. You know, you're pretty much for your first year, and and on the exit from the incubator, you can get you know, the, the head of the incubator to hold your hand and talk to a bunch of angels or microcap VCs and, and get some more money. Um, but then can they actually get to product market fit and then raise more money? That's where almost mm-hmm. all of them stall. That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, you're right. Problem. You're right. On the merits, I think on the on the pure numbers, you're probably right that the, that the dollar figure is available now, even for like inflation adjusted dollars. Uh, on time and size are are looser, and certainly that's yeah. how people characterize the trend, right? But it, it must have felt hard then, and it does feel hard now. But so you you start this company, and you were designing chips, or you were making software design chips, or were you making these software these video software design chips? Chip. Software software design to design chips. Other people were building the hardware. 
We were okay. just, just providing tools for it. You know, they were CAD tools, like mechanical CAD tools. Everybody knows mechanical CAD, AutoCAD, and so forth. There's the same set of tools for electrical CAD. So yeah, um, like high uh, speed is smaller market. That's it. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's a smaller market, but it's um, it's it's uh, you know it's similar. It's similar in space. Right, right. And then once you get adoption, you become something like a monopoly on 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 the key community that makes stuff. I guess is the strategy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unlike a lot of startups now, though, it, it's a pure technology. Well, I mean, some startups have this. You know, certainly biotech startups have this. Have this. It's a pure technology play. If you can't stay ahead technologically, you can't really market and sell yourself into winning. It's mm-hmm. uh, you can you can cover some gaps. Um, you know, when you're not the leader in technologically, but uh, you can't cover long gaps. So you start the company. It gets big. You're winning. Uh, goes public. You keep running it. You yep. go away for a bit. You come back. Uh, eventually, I guess some rival buys the business for a huge number. And that's right. Sitting here now, you've started a bunch of other companies. A couple of them also phenomenal. And you've you've been involved in a couple hundred other people's companies. That's roughly the story arc of your your time. I, I think uh, that's tech. that's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. Fair. That's about right. And yeah. and and a theme that you kind of pressed on just even as we were moving through a bunch of topics. Where I want to investigate with you now uh, um, is uh, is leading people. Uh, not the first question that I would ask a chip designer, uh, nor would it have occurred to me at, to ask like Andy Grove about leading people and high performance until <laughs> seeing seeing the writing. Uh, but clearly, an engineer approaching the problem of scaling a company and oiling it to be efficient. Uh, is is a special kind of person, and, and you found some some insights in doing that work. And apparently, it's even a big part of what the startup playbook ends up being about. It's not like how do I raise money. I'm sure you cover that, but it, it seems to me that you've spent quite a bit of time and attention on uh, managing others. Yes, yeah. In fact, that's that's the the, the startup playbook. That's that's where we we spend a third of the book on just how to how to execute. We actually believe some of the, one of the cores of the book is that. You think your idea is the cornerstone of your business, but it's not. It's executing on that idea that's the cornerstone of the business. And a huge portion of execution is building a team and managing a team. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I certainly believe strongly in that. I, I was super fortunate to early in my career have a, um, a mentor that sat down with me and guided me and, and taught me not to be the the like incredible asshole that I was at the time. I was a fire. Oh, you were kid. a brilliant jerk, were you? Once upon a time. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about the brilliant part, but I certainly was the jerk part. I I <laughs> uh, would yell at people. I would browbeat them. I would I would complain and whine and and uh, he'd be in a meeting with me and then he'd take me aside at the end. And he said, "So what do you think you got out of that meeting?" <laughs> What do you think you achieved as manager of these people? You know, I kicked their ass. They're going to do what I want. He said, yeah, maybe not. And um, it took a long time, but over years, I, I, uh, I, I think, I hmm. believe, in fact, I, I, I think there's lots of evidence that I became quite a bit better at it. And in, in my later companies, I realized that was it. That was all there is, that if oh. I can pull together the right people motivate them correctly, work them through, get them together when it's important, be autocratic when it needs to be, and you get that balance, that leads to success, period. That's it. Everything else is just secondary. 
most workspaces today are vying for millennial attention by creating unlimited beer and ping pong tables. Those are all great things to do. Maybe at work, maybe not at work, but it's completely missing the point, which is that our minds are increasingly taken up by bullshit and by media that wants us rather than wants to give to us. And at work, in order to expand our creativity, to focus our minds, there are a number of hacks that we can introduce in addition to beer and ping pong, like meditation, like reading Simon Sinek, Seth Godin. But that all aside, it's really about the space that we occupy. So if we're in a cluttered space, our mind is often cluttered. That aside, having a space that is diverse as the people are, that is comfortable, that is easily movable, that can be constructed and reconstructed and deconstructed in the same amounts of time, where you're surrounded by other people that are enjoying that type of space is a pretty cool thing. If the workspace can be a definite workspace, but a good workspace, then you're in business. So this podcast is brought to you by Notel. Thanks for listening. Okay, so if I want this in the No podcast to become a cosmically successful podcast, I clearly have a few things I got to figure out, but at a certain point, it's going to become a people problem. And then it's just, that's all it's going to be, is, is what I'm hearing. And the first insight yep. uh, that, I, that I picked up here is, uh, I have a name for it. <laughs> the name is Loving Kindness. Uh, and, and loving kindness stands in contrast to maybe that, that brilliant jerk thing. And, and, and there is a kind of central casting idea that leaders are, are really tough and, and, and rough and direct and maybe cruel. And, and it comes from watching like war movies and coaches shouting in the locker room of a, like some sports movie or something, you know, all those. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's not right. And I agree. And, and for me, getting to that was, was actually a pretty big transformation. I wasn't around people who were, nice. I was around academics and scientists, then I was around like management consultants, and then I was around uh, like other startup people who thought the mission was so important and so hard, and goddamn it, it doesn't matter how we operate. And and so to me, this was a big insight, but my question for you, once you got it from this friendly person, and that, that friendly mentor probably had to say it a hundred times before you understood it, my question is, how do you change yourself? If people change, and I believe you that you change, so people must be able to change, how do you change yourself from a guy that is impatient, distracted, looking over someone's shoulder, can't stand that the calculation's wrong from a guy that just walks out of the meeting or shouts at someone or says, work harder, come back, try better, whatever, to a person that, and I don't know if the word is nice, but it's it's another kind of behavior, this, this loving yeah. kindness. How do you change? It's a good question. And, and by the way, I, I think I think being nice, being at your core nice is important, but it's not one of these, you know, hug instead of hit things all the time. It's it's a it's a variety of behavior. So I just want to be clear that it's, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's not it's not all kindness. Sometimes it's not, although usually there's always a core of kindness behind it. So to your point, mm-hmm. um, I think the, the way you 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 convince yourself that you need to do it is all about outcomes. Um, now I'm an engineer, so I tend to look at things pretty black and white. Um, in fact, I abhor gray. I, I do everything I can to drive everything into black and white, which actually makes me less of a good manager that way because things are never black and white. But I, I, I recognized over time, I, I, I applied this stuff over a long enough period of time that I realized, oh, things go better when I do it this way. 
the results are better, the outcomes are better, we make more money, we sell more stuff, we hire more people when I do it this way as opposed to this way. Again, that's a very black and white view of things. But Yeah, yeah. So um, let's disaggregate that into the situations because it sounds like you have a theory of the mechanics on this and there are some different types of situations. So for example, uh, you're a leader and you know the answer or you think you know most of it and you're really good and you know that's that's where those brilliant tricks come from in a way. Uh, but you have a colleague and it's kind of their job and, and, and that's why they're there and you're going to delegate to them and, and ask them and, and try to support them, right? I think a lot of leaders will start out agreeing to all that. Um, what's it look like when you when you really do that correctly and what are some of the traps? Because, you know, the, 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 the trap you fall into is now you're micromanaging and you're up in their business and, and you're being overly critical and you're holding unreasonable standard or not high enough standard or there's so many ways you get complaints, but all happy yeah. families are happy in the same way and so maybe 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 you have a recipe for uh, for that one mechanic, which is of, of having someone who reports to you and, and and helping them be successful on a personal level. Yeah, I mean, well, level. I mean, it starts it starts it starts off with uh, I, I I know this sounds super basic, but it's really important. It starts out with um, uh, who you hire. If you don't hire somebody who actually knows more than you do about that area, then you shouldn't be hiring that person. So if if you have a if you're the CEO of a company, you have a VP of marketing come come in, and he's pretty much your equivalent in marketing, or, or she. he or she is, you know, is is your equivalent in marketing. Then you're just wasting energy. It's just silly. You're going to butt heads all the time. You're going to if you're a marketing expert, don't hire a marketing VP. Hire, you know, go out and spend your energy doing something else. Do the marketing yourself in the startup. So I mean, okay, okay. So complementarity, difference, expertise. Hire someone better. Okay, got it. Get the right person. Being, and so once you start there, once you start there, it becomes a little bit easier. You've taken a huge part of the equation out, and now you can assume when you walk into that person person's office and you are wondering why they're not doing exactly what's in your head. Um, why are they doing something else? you have to step back and you have to recognize, well, they know more than me to begin with. So mm -hmm. I have to understand why they're doing it that way. So instead of saying... Maybe that's just another should... lesson. I, 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 wanna, I mean, I wonder what you said. What if the other lesson is to take that presumption when you, the leader, confront a colleague who has a different idea and to think they must be doing this for good reasons. Let me yeah, find those out. To me. Yeah. yeah. Well, teach me. Teach me. Yeah. You know, I want to. I want to learn. That's and and that's always a better way of approaching. Even if they know less than you, it's it's mm -hmm. always a good thing to do. But especially if they know more than you, <laughs> don't don't yeah. you know make give give them all the credit in the world, and and but ask them to help you understand it where it came yeah. from. Well, okay, and but then sometimes people get, make mistakes. Sometimes they're under pressure. Sometimes they actually do have a little gap, and it may not be that you strictly speaking know more, but you did expect more. And you're dealing with somebody who, where you're trying to make a correction, and right. that might that might you know come off like some of those negatives I was listing off. Is, what's a what's a recipe for approaching that? Yeah, so so I mean it depends on the situation. It's, it's a hard question to answer because there's such a a large variety of situations. But let's just say this is how I'm interpreting your question. Tell me if I'm off here. Um, is that say um, things aren't getting done fast enough, things aren't changing quickly enough, the person is, I don't perceive the person is working hard enough. Is that reasonable to, is that a, a yeah, reasonable that could be one. representation? Yeah, sure. Okay, so so um, working hard enough is, is one of these, is it's, 
it's uh, it's a very personalized thing, amount of energy, right? That that goes in. There are people who there there's all and there's and there are always circumstances that have to be taken into account. You know, if somebody had been working harder and is not working as hard anymore, the question should be what's changed. Not that they're being bad for not working. Is everything okay at home? You know, are uh, are you doing okay? You're burned out. You know, it's 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 feed them the things that are very logical ways of looking at the problem and mm-hmm. and get their feedback on on what's going on. If it ultimately comes to there's a real difference in belief on how much effort should be put in, put it out on the table. This is my expectation and this is what you're delivering. I may have made a mistake as the leader in explaining that, but I'm going to need you to adopt this level of energy. That's my requirement in the organization, right? That might be what it comes down to. I'm actually involved in a company now that this is exactly what's going down, Um, that in the end, it was the CEO's fault because they didn't explain adequately to the person they hired um, how much work it was going to be. And let's try another case. So this is this is a, this okay. is a really nice illumination of this case. Now let's take a related case where it's not level of effort, but it's type of effort. So stuff's not happening fast enough. The person's working actually really hard, maybe too hard. I and mean, maybe that's one of the signals that something's wrong. And you walk in and you're like, hey, I thought we were going to get this new uh, strategy shipped and in market with metrics out by now. And we're still working on the strategy and you haven't presented the plan yet. Like, where where are we on this thing? What, what's right. You so, ask that a few so, times, you give them more time, but then at a certain point you show up and you're like, something's wrong. Okay, yeah, so I see the, the level of focus on management is a sliding scale. As much as I said everything's black and white before, this is, in this case it's clearly a sliding scale. As somebody, somebody who's not performing to their, by the way, it should have been their schedule to begin with, right? So, mm-hmm. so one, once the plan was put in place, the as the boss you should have gotten the schedule that they expected and the results on the schedule of results as well so when to to address your question we're clearly not meeting their schedule right so so it wasn't Mm -hmm. my schedule it was their schedule to begin with okay so now you're not meeting it what's what is up with it has there been a fundamental change well i didn't you didn't give me the resources that i needed okay so what's the new schedule, right? Because I didn't give them the resources that was planned and, and needed. Maybe it is these things aren't working out as well as I had hoped. Okay, there's a little bit in that that you might give some space. But sometimes it's not. It's just not working out. They're not able to make it happen. And in this case, you start to dial the, let's call it the, 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 the amount of close management up a little bit. They get less leeway. Instead of reporting the results every two weeks to me, you now need to report them every every week. You can do this subtly. It doesn't have to be a, be a penalty. It's not a punishment. If, it's, if, in a, if in a week, maybe we need to talk about it daily to see what's going on. So you actually get closer to someone based on their ability to deliver on results that they committed to. Yeah, I think this is a really, a really nice and, and a really nice rule of thumb. I mean, it has some echoes of uh, of the Grove concept, the Andy Grove concept of task relevant maturity, and it has another echo from uh, Dalio, um, whose principles book has been rolling around lately. Uh, yep. just, I mean, they finally printed it; it's been on the internet forever. But the, um, the the idea that he's got of tasting the soup, and you know, so 
Occasionally, a manager will walk right up and take a look and then just be gone. And in a way, the, the distance of the manager giving you like a two-month loop on deliverables or even a year-long loop on deliverables, um, that, that, that shows that the machine is working and they're just monitoring outputs that are far downstream from that. And as the manager walks closer to you, walks closer to you, and you're on a two-week loop, two-day loop, two-hour loop, two-minute loop, it, it almost tracks to how uh, closely under supervision, but and often really just junior people. I mean, almost the definition of a very junior person is that you're, you're checking in with them every hour or every day as opposed to every week or every month. Does that's that right. roughly that's feel? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, that, that's let's, exactly. try, let's try another domain. Let's try another domain. So you, you, you did your doctor routine on uh, one critical aspect of management, which is managing individuals and their performance and showing them support and getting their buy-in on a certain thing, but helping them monitor the output both on style and effort. Um, there's another class of problems. And in this second class of problems, uh, feelings are important. They involve interpersonal situations of teams. So either between leaders of teams or inside teams that may not be functioning well, uh, give me your diagnostic on this one. You, you come and see a manager and this other department's been upset about it and you, know, you want to find out, oh, and oh, it turns out this manager's upset and they're not communicating, not collaborating, Let's, they all want to do it my way, We're, uh, I don't, they're being pol political. And in this case, um, all unhappy families are the same in a way. <laughs> Whenever there's an interpersonal, interpersonal conflict in a company, I find it's just the same nine things. They, they you know, people, you, you know something's up because you hear one of the same nine complaints, and then you go do an interview and you get like six out of the same nine always. Uh, and I wonder if, if you believe that pattern is true and what your take of that pattern is and, and what are some of the remedies you, you sometimes deploy. Yeah, I think I think at the high level that that may be true. I actually believe Tolstoy was right, though the the problematic ones are all all different. Um, I, I I think they're different because I mean, if you take you know nine factorial, you know the number of combinations of the nine things, you'll get an awful big you know you know you get an awful big number. Yeah, that's of, a great point. Of potential yeah. problems. Um, but but I I I would say that that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's it's just so it, it's very difficult. There's there's no panacea here, right? That you know, um, uh, you know, egos are the core of almost all broad personnel problems, right? It, it just if you can if you can identify the ego problems, then um, then that's huge. You know, I have two key points that I really really strongly believe in. One is the old, you know, the Jack Welch four quarter and now four uh, four quartile analysis of people where where um, you've got along one axis you have you know contribution to the company and then you have on the other axis you know ability to communicate and you know if you have people who are poor communicators and don't have a lot of contribution well there's sort of like only one thing to do you have to replace those people or work at them a little bit and then replace them if they can't can't come around the interesting thing is what happens when you have people who are, you know, really good but not communicative or not or or fully communicative but not bad, right? You you get you can get people who are are sort of the cornerstone of prod, of individual productivity who also bring the whole organization down. And mm. those people are horrible. They are the worst people and they're the the people that they they are the ones that almost never get fired um, or never even get talked to, you know, oh, you know, Jane, she is, she's holding this place together, man, she can produce so much code 
that that you know we we couldn't do anything without her in the meantime Jane thinks everybody else is an asshole, doesn't talk to anybody, you know, won't share her code, won't won't stop, won't drop her stuff to go help anyone else. And organizationally, she's she's a tyrant. And 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 so what do you do with Jane? Well, it's hard to say Jane is actually my biggest problem, but Jane is your biggest problem in this case. Wow. And uh and and the, and those cases are super hard to turn around because those people have such big egos that they're they're very difficult to to deal with. They think they're the best people around. You have to nip those in the bud really early. In my experience, yeah. you know, maybe one out of ten times, two out of ten times, you can actually turn those people around. Let you know, help them realize that they need to be leaders. That'd be a good thing for them and the organization if they led. Um, well, what's the move? What's the move? It sounds people. like it sounds like you approach uh, these people issues with an engineer's mindset, and yes. and you have a move. So your move is, hey, uh, Jane, terrible communicator, amazing contributor, you will not go far here unless you solve this problem, and our company yeah, will not prosper. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that that's not move one. Move one is to, is to help them recognize what they're doing. You know, is like, hey, you know. Uh, uh, John over there needed your help the other day. He's a junior guy. Uh, we think he's got a lot of promise, but he needs a lot of hand-holding, and uh, you refused to help him. What was that about? Um, you didn't have time? Okay, cool, I get it. You know, you're late on your schedule? Okay, I get it. That's rarely the problem because Jane is already the most productive person around. So it's usually that it's not worth my time. John's not worth my time. And I said, so do you think you're, I would say, so do you, do you think you can do all of the coding for the entire organization or maybe you'll need some help along the way? And, you know, she has to recognize she can't write every line of code as much as she'd like to. And so we're going to need the Johns of the world to do well in order for us, us, for us all to do well. And so through, you know, through that kind of, of of experience you try to get Jane to recognize that it's 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 more productive for the organization to have everybody working pretty well than it is just to have her working great and she'll either buy into that or she won't and then it ultimately comes down to your question whether you know is is uh this is you know this is how we're going to do it in this organization because it's an organization it's not you are you willing to step up to make that happen? And like I said, eight, nine times out of ten, they're not. Those kind of surfacing the issue initially, just like putting it in front of them to see if they just somehow are blind to it, doing it a few times, maybe providing a little feedback on, hey, it actually would be good, a little diagnostic on, hey, why? What are you thinking? And then at a certain point, if you really just see someone who's recalcitrant and you feel you've understood yep. them, you might need to surface their kind of. Uh, submerged obstacle, and 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 you think it might be ego in in your or or something related to ego. Ultimately, it's usually ego. It's usually ego. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. they want to be better than everybody else, so they're it's not it's not in their interest to make anybody else better. That's amazing. So yeah, it happens. Hard won insights. Was there a class on this uh, before you dropped out, or? That's the <laughs> good point. No, actually, if 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 uh, uh, you know, like I said, the 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 uh, I didn't know what I what I didn't know, 
and um, and this was uh, this wasn't even among the things that were a third order effect of not knowing. I had no I I didn't know anything about management, and and uh, like I said, in the end, management becomes the cornerstone to uh, to all corporate success. It sounds so. Well, it's been amazing talking to you. Uh, this book sitting on my desk is now caught fire. I'm going to have to get another coffee because I'm so excited about it. And I hope folks go uh, go get the Startup Playbook. Um, when I when I get through it, I'm going to I'm going to phone you back up and and learn more from you. Maybe I'll even stick it into my class. I have this class at Columbia, and and, uh, and certainly management is one of the big one of the big things that we try to do. Thank you again, Will. Well, oh, it's been a blast. Thanks so much.